0: I invite you now, loved ones, to turn and find in your Bibles the scripture passage we'll consider this morning from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5 to 34. last week if you're here with us as we've been making our way through isaiah we considered how god's hand was in a sense rising upraised against his people in judgment and here we find that god actually does uh, inflict punishment upon his people but that is not the end of the story as we will see and consider this morning and so give your attention now to the reading of god's word from isaiah 10 verse 5 to 34 woe to the assyrian The rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him against a godless nation. I dispatch him against a people who anger me, to seize loot and snatch, plunder, and trample them down like mud in the streets. But this is not what he intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy, to put an end to many nations. Are not my commanders all kings, he says? Has not Kalno fared like... Kar Chamesh, is not Hamath like Arpad and Samaria like Damascus? As my hand seized the kingdoms of the idols, kingdoms whose images excelled those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not deal with Jerusalem and her images as I dealt with Samaria and her idols? When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion in Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart, and the haughty look in his eyes, for he says, By the strength of my hand I have done this, and by my wisdom, because I have understanding, I removed the boundaries of nations, I plundered their treasures like a mighty one, I subdued their kings. As one reaches into a nest, so my hand reached for the wealth of the nations. As men gathered, gather abandoned eggs, so I gathered all the countries. Not one flapped a wing or opened its mouth to chirp. Does the axe raise itself above him who swings it? Or the saw boast against him who uses it? As if a rod were to wield him who lifts it up? Or a club brandish him who is not wood? Therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will send a wasting disease upon his sturdy warriors. Under his pomp a fire will be kindled like a blazing flame. The light of Israel will become a fire, the Holy One a flame. In a single day it will burn and consume his thorns and his briars. The splendor of his forests and fertile fields it will completely destroy, as when a sick man wastes away, And the remaining trees of his forest will be so few that a child could write them down. In that day, the remnant of Israel... The survivors of the house of Jacob will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob, will return to the mighty God. Though your people, O Israel, be like the sand by the sea, only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed, overwhelming and righteous, The Lord, the Lord Almighty, will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord Almighty says. O my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians who beat you with a rod and lift up a club against you as Egypt did. Very soon my anger against you will end, and my wrath will be directed to their destruction. The Lord Almighty will lash them with a whip as when he struck down Midian at the rock of Oreb, and he will raise his staff over the waters as he did in Egypt. In that day, their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from your neck. The yoke will be broken because you have grown so fat. They enter Ayath. They pass through Migran. They store supplies at Mikmash, They go over the pass and say, we will camp overnight at Giba. Ramah trembles. Gibeah of Saul flees. Cry out, O daughter of Galim. Listen, O Laishah. Poor Anathoth, Madmenah is in flight. The people of Gabim take cover. This day they will halt at Nob, and they will shake their fists at the Mount of the Daughter of Zion at the hill of Jerusalem. See the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the bows with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the Mighty One. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing to it as we consider it this morning. Well, loved ones, in times of war, such as ones that we find ourselves in now, we, we happen to recognize and see that people ask lots of big and important questions about life. For example, why do humans constantly try to occupy and oppress others. Why do we see this time and time again? We wonder why people would want to disrupt the peace that exists in this world and do violence to others. So news of violence and war encroaching towards us, in a sense, threatens our own sense of security, stability, and identity. News of war reminds us that we are not in complete control Of our lives as we would like to be nor our livelihood. We don't control the gas prices. We are at the mercy of powerful men and women in the world, those whose heads often get inflated with pride. It's a scary thought to realize that you are at the mercy of cruel and depraved humans who have been given great power and authority in the world. And it's to that reality that Isaiah speaks saying all my people who trust in my promises be not afraid of the evil men when they strike you. Why? For very soon my anger will be directed to their destruction. Here in this passage Isaiah the prophet is preparing God's people for the coming invasion of the Assyrian empire that was soon to seek to occupy and oppress them. And that would soon happen in the year 734 BC, when they would come and seek to occupy and oppress God's people, both in the northern kingdom, in Israel, and then in Judah, down below in the south. And so this passage is showing us how to interpret wars as they take place in the world. Isaiah is saying that although it seems like you're at the mercy of mortal men. It seems that way. But in fact, you are actually at the mercy of the Sovereign Lord Almighty. He is in control of all things. Isaiah wants to show us this, that God is actually in control of this coming Assyrian invasion for the Israelites in Isaiah's day. And he is also showing us the same thing for us today, that God is in control for Israel the holy one of Israel used uh, he, the holy one of Israel God himself used this evil wicked empire Assyria to discipline his own people for their godless idolatry now how does that apply to us well we too must remember that God is in control of every historical event including warfare that exists today and the Lord almighty he is not up in heaven watching sitting back with sadness, wishing he could do something about what's happening in the world and all the violence. No, in, act, in actuality, what we find is that it's all going according to his perfect plan. Everything is going according to his orchestration of his eternal plan as he sees fit. Now, empires like Assyria in the past and nations like Russia today, we find, according to this passage, They are like tiny pawns in the hands of the Sovereign Lord who is in control of all of human history. God knows what he is doing. He knew what he was doing with Assyria and Israel back then, and he knows what he's doing today as well. We see here in our text that God was doing something for his people through the Assyrian invasion. First, we see that God was punishing his people for their idolatry, their godlessness, But then we also see in this passage that he was preserving a portion of his people, the remnant of his chosen people. And lastly, he will pay back all of his opponents in judgment for their crimes, their war crimes, their violence, their wickedness. So those will be our three points, that God punishes his people, he preserves his portion, and he will pay back his opponents in the end. First, we see that he punishes his people. We find that in verses 5 to 11, the first part of our text, where we read about how God used Assyria as the rod of his anger and the club of his wrath. We read in verse 6 that the Lord sent and dispatched Assyria against a godless nation, a people who angered him. Speaking of Israel and Judah, what does this mean? Well, it means that God chose to allow, permit in his sovereignty the aggression of Assyria and Assyria's pride to come and take over, for a time, Israel and oppress Judah for a time in order to punish his own people for their sins, for their godlessness, for their idolatry. We find that God is the powerful uh, directator of, Uh, director, dictator in a sense of human history. He is directing all according to his perfect plan. He is able to even employ evil agents like Assyria to accomplish his larger purposes. Now this does not mean that God approves of the evil that is done by such agents. He did not approve of all the wickedness that Assyria would perpetrate in occupying and oppressing the nations. God is not In approval of the evil done by these agents that he employs in order to accomplish his purposes. Now the clearest example of this in scripture happens at a dinner table with Jesus and his disciples the night when he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. Because God's plan was for the Son of God to ultimately end up on the cross, crucified on that tree in order to die as a substitute for his people paying for their sins to forgive them all their sins. But how would God accomplish that plan which included this great act of evil, betraying the Son of God and giving him up to be crucified? How did he do it? He let Judas Iscariot have what he wanted, right? Judas was greedy for money. And so Judas intended to sell Jesus to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver, That was his intention, his evil intention. But God had intentions above that. And he was orchestrating the events in order to bring his son to the cross where he would shed his blood for the sins of many. And so that's why Peter says in Acts 2, 23, speaking to the Jews gathered on that day, he says, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So it was according to God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And so we see that God had his ultimate deliberate plan and he used even wicked men to accomplish that, letting them have their intentions. But God's greater sovereign intentions were above those in order to orchestrate all things for his glory. And so, too, even through great evil, even through the great evil of the Assyrian invasion, God had his deliberate and sovereign plan. And we see that in our text. Look at verse 7. Here we read that the Assyrians had their own evil purposes in occupying other nations. Verse 7 tells us that Assyria's intention was this. But this is not what he, that is Assyria, intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy to put an end to many nations. That was Assyria's wicked intention and goal, Uh, genocide basically, putting to death entirely uh, other nations. That was not God's intention. God did not intend for Assyria to destroy or put an end to his own people by no means. So what was God's intention then? Well, it was to punish his people in discipline, in love for their godless idolatry. Now, We look back at the first verse of our text, it must have been a shock for the Israelites to hear Isaiah say that his people were a godless nation. It could also be translated a pagan nation. In their mind, the Assyrians were the great godless nation, the wicked ones, not them. But in this, we see that God has no double standards in his justice he doesn't let his people get away with idolatry and wrongdoing just because they are his people. No, no. God punishes his people at times because they need to be disciplined in love for their sins, for their idols. And this is actually the point of the author in a letter to the letter to the Hebrew Christians in the New Testament. If you'd like to turn there, I'll read a portion in chapter 12 of the New Testament Hebrews verses 5 through 11, where we learn about God's disciplinary love. And he says this, again, Hebrews twelve five through 11, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone who accepts, he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They, that is our our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So here, from Hebrews, and as we look back to the text in Isaiah, we learn that God disciplines or punishes his people at times for their good. So, too, God was disciplining his people for their good by, in, by sending the Assyrians upon them to invade them and occupy them. Now, what good would God produce out of that? What good would God produce by sending the Assyrians to oppress his people? Well, he sent Assyria to uproot the idols in their life, uproot the false hopes that they had in their hearts that they were relying on instead of relying and leaning upon him we see that in verses 20 to 21 back in isaiah chapter 10 where he says in that day after this punishment after the discipline the remnant of israel the survivors of jacob will no longer rely on him who struck them that is assyria but will truly rely on the lord the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. You see, Israel was too comfortable with their idols, their idolatry. God loves his children too much to let them cozy up with something that will eventually destroy them, and that principle still applies to us today. You will not Let his own chosen children cozy up with idols and let them be destroyed by them. He will discipline us to remove and uproot those idols in our hearts. Now, what is an idol? We often think of idols just as statues that people are worshiping. But an idol is anything that you place your trust in besides the one true God. How do you know if you've made an idol of something? Well, ask yourself right now in your life if there is something that if you were to lose it today or tomorrow, that you would lose a sense of your identity, stability, and joy, having lost that thing. If that thing is not God, then that thing is an idol that you are nestling up and cozying up with in your heart. It is an idol. An idol is something that you try to draw your identity, stability, and joy from apart from God himself. No created thing is sufficient to give us lasting identity, stability, or joy because we are ultimately made for God, not for created things. And so, Pastor Tim Keller, he says this, that if we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. See, this is why God disciplines us in life for our idolatry as well. He doesn't want us to lean on some created thing that will eventually fail us and eventually leave us broken-hearted. The main difference between us today in the ancient people of Israel or Assyria is not whether or not we worship idols, but whether or not we openly admit that we do. The ancients openly worshiped their gods of military strength, of sexuality and prosperity, and they had visible statues, right? Today, we pursue the same things, the same concepts, the same things, and we delight in them, and we find refuge in them in our society. So the big difference is not that we don't worship idols, but that we don't admit that we are worshiping false gods. We don't admit that we are living for false gods instead of the one true God. And God wants us to flee all idols. He wants us to abandon all false hopes and things like money, power, sex, authenticity, absolute freedom, individuality. These are the idols of our day that he wants us to Abandon and find all of our identity, stability, and strength, and joy in him and in him alone. And so God sent Assyria to punish Israel because he does not allow his his people, his children, to cozy up with deadly idols. He disciplines those whom he loves in order that they might learn to rely and lean on him all the more because he will never fail to deliver. He will never break our hearts. And that's why he sent Assyria to punish Israel for their godless idolatry. And we see in verse 15 of the passage in chapter 10 of Isaiah that God used Assyria like a man grabbing an axe or wielding a saw or swinging a club. What is that speaking of? It's speaking of the fact that God is in control of this coming invasion. God is always in control of the affairs of humanity and international events as well. Assyria, remember, intended to bring an end to God's people to utterly destroy them, but God intended only to punish and to discipline his people for their idolatry. And that's why we see that God intended to preserve a portion of his people Through that coming judgment, through that punishment, he would not let the Assyrians end his promises or thwart his plans that he had for his people. And so that's our second point we move to, that God preserves a portion of his people. Look in verse 16, we hear Isaiah say, therefore, the logical assumption at this point in the text is that God is going to wipe out Israel for their godless idolatry. With the Assyrian invasion, here it comes. But that is not what happens. Instead, we hear that the Lord is still with his people to preserve them. Assyria came to destroy, but in the end, God will destroy Assyria. Look at verse 17. There we see God is still the light of Israel. The light of God's holy flame will not be put out by Assyria's aggression. No. His promises and plans cannot be thwarted by sinful men. And so we read what God would do. He would bring Assyria to a complete, total destruction, to a pitiful state described like a sick person wasting away or like a young child counting the few Assyrian soldiers left standing on two hands. To a pitiful state, this great and powerful nation would be brought low. But now notice in verses 21 to 22, here Isaiah promises that in that, through that, that God would preserve a portion of his people, even through the punishment that he was sending upon them. Many would fall in this invasion, many would fall, but God had his plan to uphold his remnant people. From a historical point of view, what happened actually in history is that God had his plan And so the northern kingdom of Israel ceased to exist after the fall of Samaria to the Assyrians in the year 722 BC. So the northern part of the kingdom fell and ceased to exist. But Judah in the south eventually survived, survived the aggression of Assyria and their assaults. God preserved a portion of his people. So commentator Alec Moyter says this, Within the Lord's just judgments, there is a preservative at work. For the Lord never deserts his people, nor allows them to come to an end. No matter how great the odds are against them, sin never goes unpunished, but neither does the world manage a a triumph in the end that is a great summary of what we find in this passage, that God will not allow his people to come to an end. Even if all the odds are stacked against him, he will preserve his people to the end, and the world will not have the final triumph. How does that apply to us? Well, here, where we are today, and at the end of the world, at the end of the world, when all hardship and wars come to an end, when many have fallen, God's remnant will be there standing according to his promises. We have to think of that and visualize it, imagine it by faith. What's the difference between the fallen and the standing? Well, the fallen are those who lose all created things through war and hardship. They lose it all, and in death they lose it all, and they fall into naked despair because they have nothing left. They've lost it all. The standing, however, are those who lose all created things just like the others, and yet they stand in Christ as heirs of God's eternal kingdom, trusting in his promises. As many have rightly said, you don't realize that Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. Have you learned that? Has your heart learned that? Have you learned through hardship and difficulty that Jesus is all That you actually have and can hold on to forever have you realized that all other created things will pass away and that only christ's resurrection will last in the end if you have if you have trusted in christ in that way and learned that you have everything in him well there's good news the good news that you are part of god's remnant people you are part of god's portion that he is preserving He will preserve you to the end. If you have not yet trusted in Christ in that way, learn to lean on him. Don't wait for more hardships. Don't wait for more wars and invasions to come upon you and disasters to befall you. Don't wait until you lose everything before you realize that Jesus is all that you truly have. Look to Jesus now. Trust in him now. Join his remnant people who rely on him Who preserves his precious portion. So we see that he also preserves his precious portion of his people. And thirdly, we'll consider that he pays back his opponents with full justice. We see that in verses 24 to 34. We see that even though God used Assyria as a pawn to punish and discipline his people, Israel, that God does not let Assyria off the hook for their wickedness their evil deeds. No, he holds them guilty as those who have willful pride. God declares here that he will bring a total judgment upon Assyria. The same ones who are used by God as an axe in his hand now feel the axe cut on them, cut them down like a forest brought low to stumps. Now here we see as well that the Lord promises liberation, and vindication for his people that they would be liberated from the yoke of their oppressors in verses 24 to 25 the lord almighty speaks words of comfort to the people who rely on his promises saying my people who live in zion that is those who are tied to my covenant promises to david and his descendants after him do not be afraid of the assyrians who beat you with a rod and lift up a club against you as egypt did very soon, my anger against you will end. That punishment, that discipline will end, and my wrath will be directed to their destruction. So, as God had liberated Israel from Egypt before in the Exodus, stretching out his, his arm, so to speak, and having the waters of the Red Sea crushing down upon the Egyptians who were pursuing them, so God would crush the Assyrians and liberate his people. Now, what does that mean for us today? Well, we remember this important truth that runs throughout God's word, that the judge of all the earth will bring every oppressive empire of this world, like Assyria, like Babylon, like Rome, and like every other oppressive nation today, God will bring them all to a pitiful end in judgment. Every proud head that lifts itself up against God to oppress others, who are made in his image, will be paid back in full justice for their crimes against God and against humanity. Everyone, from the powerful to the weak, the authorities to the subjects, all will stand before God on that great and final day to give an account of their deeds before him. And those who die with willful pride, like the Assyrians, trusting in themselves, trusting in idols, they will perish in God's judgment. They will not stand on the day of judgment. Only those who return to God by faith, trusting in his promise to save sinners who call on Jesus' name, only they will stand with Christ on that day. And so the question again is, are you a part of God's remnant people relying on Jesus' death and resurrection? Has God, your Father, disciplined you that you might learn to lean and trust in him above all else? Have you learned to look to Jesus, to see that you have him and only him at the end of the day, and that by faith in Jesus, that the meek, the meek, not the oppressive, not the aggressive in this world, but the meek will inherit the world to come. That is, those who looked at Jesus by faith, standing in him, they are the rightful heirs of the world to come. So as cruel men in this world, as we witness around us on the news, as they aggressively try to occupy the world and oppress others, we, God's remnant people, look to Jesus, the light of Israel. We trust that the Lord, he is in control of all things and he is preserving a portion of his people, those who rely on him and trust in him. And in the end, we trust that he will pay back all of his opponents with full justice. He will vindicate and liberate his people in the end. Therefore, loved ones, you who belong to Jesus, do not be afraid. O people of the Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is with us to preserve us through judgment all the way to the end until we inherit the world to come with him and the new creation. So trust in him, loved ones. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we are humbled uh, as we consider this historical event of the Assyrian invasion and how you used it in your sovereignty to discipline your people for their godless idolatry. But it was not to put an end to your people. It was not to give up on your people, but it was in fact to discipline them so that they would learn to lean and rely on you all the more. So we ask that you would teach us that lesson, O Lord, that even in these chaotic times that we would be reminded by your word this morning that you are in control of all things. And may you cause by your spirit uh, our hearts to trust in you, to abandon all idols, to look to you with faith, trusting that you will preserve your people and that in the end you will pay back in full justice all those who oppose you and oppose your anointed one and his people. Lord give us this faith and this perspective to see what's happening around us and give us the courage to stand firm in our convictions and in our faith in Jesus Christ we pray amen loved ones let us respond uh, to God's